What is good? How you living? How you doing? How you feeling? It is the L-E-F-K-O-E. Man, it is the West, and it is the biggest mush of all time. Hope everybody is having a great day today. Um, We're going to get right into it. I need to address the elephant in the room. Westbrook, can you please tell David Ingber that what he did yesterday really upset me? Just say that. That's all. And then we'll, yeah. David, Adam is very upset with you. He doesn't appreciate what you did. And I think he actually wants an apology. We should start there. Okay, he's not going to get one. That's insane. Um, Just so people know what what happened here. Lefko on the podcast took his platform and he decided to say out loud that he was backing Mitchell Trubisky. That is his choice as a free American and as a sports media host. He he said that I am putting my money where my mouth is and I say Mitchell Trubisky is going to have a great game against the Lions and the numbers supported it. So about two-thirds, three-quarters of the way through that game, I texted Lefko to say, hey, bud, as producer, if you'd like to increase the social relevance of this pick, as Mitchell Trubisky continues to play well, here's a a link that you might want to retweet that said that you Mm -hmm. called this. Sure enough, Mitchell Trubisky fumbles to lose the game. That is not something that I created. That's not something that I made happen. You are the person that backed Mitchell Trubisky, someone that has the possibility to fumble a game away in the fourth quarter. That is not on me. I do not accept blame. Westbrook, um, can you ask David if he is done? David, are you, are you? Well, before I even ask you, are you done? I want to also include that I'm upset at my best friend, David, because I, too, bet on the Bears. And the- yeah, I bet the Bears <laughs> minus three. I, I bet the Bears minus three. This whole Trubisky thing. Trubisky was fine. The Bears minus three. So, so wait, Westbrook, what are you upset about? Because they had an opportunity to win the game and fumbles later. Right. They're up by 10 points in the fourth quarter. Come on. So when you saw when you saw the strings of text messages that I got that said Trubisky versus the Lions, Mm -hmm. eyeball emoji, the tweet, and then if this keeps up. Yeah. And you want to retweet. What what did you as somebody that bet the Bears? What did you think upon seeing those as he texted at around 249? So right when the Bears were up 10 points with the ball in the fourth quarter. Well, I, I, I'm saying to myself, just ignore David. Just, just, just ignore him. Because, you know, maybe he has money on the lines. I don't know. Just ignore mm. him, and then we'll we'll work. Ooh, let's dive angle. into that. Why, let's That's dive into that. Why, if he had money on the Lions, would he do that? Can you explain that? Like, if you had money on the Lions, would you send something like that? Well, because you're trying to jinx the other guy. You're trying to say, you know, ah. we have so many things going on. Let me try to take some ah. and, and get things going for your team. And obviously, David, he's a New England Patriot Westbrook, guy. I got a, I got a question. What religion are you? I'm a Christian, Christian man. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am not of those Christian beliefs, okay. but I would never question what you believe. And I would never say that, oh, that's not real, right? What I think I would like David to know, if you could pass this along somehow, maybe he's listening, I don't know, is that while believing the sports gods exist mm-hmm. and there are such things as jinx may be crazy, I do not need to be told it is not real because unfortunately it is something that I believe in. It is something that I subscribe to. And there's a reason why I didn't even look at my phone for the second half of that game because I had real money on that game. And so upon opening my phone and seeing that, realizing that I had been jinxed. And what I would like David to understand, Westbrook, if you could pass this along to him, is that while he may not believe that he changed the course of history, I do. 
And and so really all it takes is an I'm sorry. It's you you agree with me, Westbrook. Simply yeah. a sorry fixes all of the jinx. Uh and then just an acknowledgement that it won't happen in the future. Would you agree, Westbrook? I agree. A quick apology is all it takes. And if we were in the all movie The Bronx Tales, at this Ooh. point, David, you would be in the bathroom. Sonny would have mm. put you in the bathroom because I would be locking the door. <laughs> Lock it out of there. Yeah, get your and face Westbrook, out of there. We what, don't want what? your face in here. But wait, Westbrook, what would you then say to David when he came back out? Now you just can't leave. Yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> But I, I, Westbrook, do you think Ingber, uh, David's going to say anything? First of all, that's a whole different part of the movie, just, just FYI. Yeah, but my yeah, bad. Yeah, okay, my bad. Yeah, stay with me here. But yeah, David, all you have to do is apologize. If you want us to remain, you know, friendly. We, we yeah. have a long pod of, of, ahead of us. We, we want it to be a friendly pod. All you have to do is say, I'm sorry. Simple as that. Yeah, all he has, all he has to say is not that he caused it. All he has to say is, I apologize that you guys believe in this yeah. and that I sent you bad it's juju. It's pretty simple. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, that that second thing, that is something I'm happy to say. And I would have said it. I would have said it initially, but that felt like when you apologize to your significant other by saying, I'm sorry that you mm, feel angry true. about something. That that I didn't want to mm. do an apology that made things worse that came off as sarcastic. So I'm sorry that you believe in something that is unprovable Don't, in the physical world. Now listen, Westbrook. See, this is this is his chance to really apologize he's and not, to not be smarmy. He's digging because, deeper. Like this, can, this because I'm going to say I'm, something. That I'm giving you what you want. No, 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 right no. I didn't ask. I didn't ask for that unproven line. And so what I'm saying right now is this is a grudge that I will hold for a very long time. This is I'm. This is a grudge I will hold for a very long time. I am happy to say I am sorry that my text in your mind, caused the outcome of the Lions-Bears game to be altered. And, and lost my And you lost that your is bet. Something, and, you have to, and that you, you won't do it as your you. bet. David, it's great to talk to you again. I love Hey, good it's good to see you, Left. Uh, <laughs> Unbelievable, no, sir. Listen, it had to be quashed. Now, everybody take a sip of their water. Good. Here's. No, but Westbrook, in all seriousness, when you saw that, were you like, motherfucker? I, no. A little I, bit. Be, be, even before that, I'm like, this thing is going bad. And then that just kind of solidified. I'm, like, oh, I'm out. Yeah. Game's over. Turn yeah, that game off. It. Don't even worry about that. Uh, and it, I, we're not going to talk anymore about that game because it was awful. Uh, we got to say my a couple last, things. That was that my game. last bet until the playoffs. I'm not betting again until the playoffs because the wild card round is a great round to bet, but I'm not betting again. So the next four weeks, we'll do the show but I'm not betting anymore. You're not going to bet anymore. Are you, are you serious? No, that's not true. I, I don't believe that. The, the Chicago bears were up 10 points yes. with the ball on the 40 yard line of the Detroit lions. Yes. And the, and the lions could not stop the bears all game. Couldn't stop them. It turned into a punt. And the guy that I was playing had Marvin Jones in fantasy. So he mm. scored a touchdown. Mm. So, so it was one of those things where, uh, probably another thing that that David doesn't believe in: the universe was conspiring, and when when it when it does that, I don't I listen. So that's that's one of the big differences between me and Ingber is that I like to believe in things that we can't see, namely God, football odds, and Bitcoin. Ingber not the biggest into things he can't see. Bitcoin. <laughs> you know who I'm upset with? I own no Bitcoin. I wish I owned Bitcoin. Oh, uh, me too. I'm upset with Alan Robertson. I really am. Oh, because he could have just turned up field and gotten the first get down, the first but he ran down. out one yard short. Yeah. You're right there. Why, why are you going out of bounds? You're right there. Get Can I the tell you the down. worst part? 
The worst part is, A, I love Alan Robinson. B, we just did an episode of Underrated with Alan Robinson where the fucking, the 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 thing that improved his stamina rating was a two-minute drill uh. where he was turning the ball upfield and then, yeah. I think the defender actually thought he was going to try to get the first down and then go out of bounds. The defender was actually waiting for him. Yeah, oh, my goodness. And then, of course, they get stopped on fourth down. That's that's yeah. majesty. Right before that play, I had texted some friends to say, like, man, Allen Robinson always makes the right football play for the team. I don't know why I said that, but it was just There's it was no way. Mind, that, if so you said that, then that's, that makes things even worse. <laughs> uh, Ingber, as an olive branch extended to you, I will let you choose yep. between three topics that we go to next. Either A, Great. the Eagles quarterback controversy, B, the Browns and Baker Mayfield are now nine and three, or C, the Jets all out blitz on a Hail Mary and go to 0 12. Love the Jets. Let's talk Jets. There's just, okay. there's so much enjoyment from this. We are story, recording please. right after 11 on Monday. And soon before we recorded, Greg Williams was actually fired. Out of there. Uh, it, it was funny because during the game, I was thinking, you know what Greg Williams is great at? Taking below average talent and making them the 15th best defense in the NFL. They, the Jets were all over the Raiders all game. Other than Darren Waller, the Raiders offense couldn't do anything. Devontae Booker was a non-factor. Derek Carr looked stuck. Sam Darnold was driving up and down. They get a two-point conversion at the end where their, their starting left tackle, Makai Becton, collapses the entire Raiders defensive line. Mm -hmm. uh, the Jets look like they're going to get their first win of the year. And then with no timeouts and five seconds left the 50-yard line, Greg Williams calls an all-out blitz, putting a guy named Lamar Jackson, that is not Lamar Jackson, mm -hmm. on 101 coverage with the fastest wide receiver to enter the draft in years. Henry Ruggs beats him down the field. The Jets fall to 0-12, and the next morning, Greg Williams is fired. <laughs> Westbrook, I, I, just, I, I have a Greg, William rant, Greg Williams rant, but I'm going to save it. I want to know... You're on an 0 and 11 team. Yeah. You seem to hit, pull off a, a, a win where you're a double digit underdog and your defensive coordinator calls that play. As a guy on that team, what would, what would last night and this morning have felt like? Not someone looking at draft. We're not talking about Trevor Lawrence. As a guy on that roster. Yeah. Well, listen, every team, and, and despite your record, you work hard. You try to win every single game. Despite your record, despite the thought that you're trying to tank for a player, you always work hard, you think, and you try to win a football game. And so when you have a chance and you've just struggled to win a game, have not won a game, and you have a chance to win one, and you're this close, that feeling is – I remember we, we started 0-6 when I was with the 49ers. And, you know, we were just not a very good team. But the the, the process to win every single week is, is the same. You try to go out there hard and practice and you want to win. But being so close and losing, that's like a dagger to the heart. Th that truly is because at this point, you're ready to celebrate. You have seconds left, not minutes, not quarters left. You have seconds left. You're ready to celebrate the first victory all season long after all this hard work, uh, you know, quarantine and all these different things. And that's taken away by a terrible, and I mean absolutely terrible defensive call. There's really no excuse for that. Uh, but are, are the players just cursing him at home right now? Like, are they like last night? Really? Well, I, well, I, I think you're cursing. Are they having a players only meeting? Like, how angry? No, they're, they're not having get? players only meeting just because at this point. I mean, I, I'm actually. Yeah. It makes me laugh to think that this was the straw that broke the camel's back to get Greg Williams fired. Really, and, and after all the things What's that your Adam take Gates on has Greg done. Williams. 
I actually, I like his aggressive nature. He reminds me of Jim Johnson a little bit. Um, I don't love the call in that point because all you had to do was get a stop. All you have to do is let him catch it in bounds and you, the game is over. But I, I like yeah. a quarter, a coordinator that, that rushes a passer that goes after the quarterback. I mean, if you watch that game, he, when, when he pressured uh, Derek Carr, he got after him pretty good. Derek Carr was not very good against pressure. That's why you send the pressure in that situation, but you don't put an undrafted rookie in that position to try to win a football game because he makes mistakes like going for the double move. Why are you trying to protect it for the double move? They have to have a touchdown. Don't settle your feet. There are, there are a lot of business owners and CEOs and managers that live like Greg Williams. They are from a generation before that has a style that when you need to get something off of the ground, they have the energy for it. Mm -hmm. They don't go home. They study the film. They, they have what they do and they do it well. So if you were last in the NFL last year, this is the kind of guy that simply by his motivation and his effort and his continuity can get you to a riddle, middle of the pack. But when you need this guy to adapt and you need him to pick a new style, sorry, I do it how I've always done it. And this is how Greg Williams has always done it. Who was the defensive coordinator of that 0-16 Browns team? Greg Williams. Who was the defensive coordinator of this 0-11 Jets team? Greg Williams, now 0-12. Greg Williams, I think this is it. And, and this is the thing. I've talked to a lot of defensive players that really loved playing for Greg Williams. Yeah. They really did. Because of what you said, he goes after it. He's going to win the game. You do not try to win the game when you're 99% likely to win the game. Like it's there, there is an ego. Look, Jim Schwartz has a little bit of this, but Jim Schwartz, I feel like can be a lot better in bigger games. They both put so much pressure on their corners on the outsides. But to me, it's there. There's no room in this sport anymore for ego. There's just not. Because it, it never turns into the ultimate prize, which is sustained success in a Super Bowl. And I, I think it's been a great run. Yeah, well, well, here's the problem with Greg Williams. He doesn't have the players. He doesn't have the personnel to play this type of defense. That's the biggest issue. If you got Revis and uh, all these great cornerbacks, then it makes it's a different story. But if you have guys that are practice squad guys, guys that are just coming off of uh, not being drafted, then you can't play this type of defense. It's simple as that. And no matter who you have. In this situation, in particular, you're up and the other team has to win a, uh, to, to, to basically score a touchdown. What you normally see in these situations is a Hail Mary and there's 20 guys in the end zone jumping up. You know why? Because defensive coaches say, okay, the one thing that we can't allow is a long pass. We can't blitz the quarterback. We're only actually going to uh, rush three guys. That's what most defensive coordinators do because they want to have as many guys as they can in the back of the end zone ready mm. to try to catch the ball or knock it down. And Greg Williams went the other way. It was a it was a second not great effort by the Raiders on the road after getting blown out by the yeah. Falcons yeah. last week. I will say this is a team that is getting Trent Brown back. They did not have, I believe, both starting safeties in this game, including our guy Jonathan Abram. Uh, they were missing Josh Jacobs and that Raiders team. When they don't have Josh Jacobs, I believe they have a very staggering losing record. Yeah. Uh, new, newfound friend David Ingber. Was there any other? I, I know that there was an ESPN stats and info about that Raiders game where they said that 
that play call has never happened before or something like that? That's right. Uh, if you put these caveats in front of it, it's the last 15 seconds of regulation and it's a four to eight point lead, meaning you need a touchdown and it's 40 plus yards to the end zone. So those are the caveats, basically like your standard Hail Mary scenario. On that play, the Jets sent the house or seven pass rushers. And this was the first time of the 251 pass plays in this scenario. This was the first time that a team sent uh, more than six pass rushers and they actually sent There's seven. a reason why. There's a reason why you don't send seven because you don't want to put your guys out on the island when you don't have to. You just don't have to do it. You, you know, the mm. weird thing, I, I listen to the radio sports talk all the time, and a lot of people are like, hey, well, they did that so that they can get the number one draft pick because they're trying to lose. And I'm like, well, these coaches, Gase, he's coaching for his livelihood. Same thing with Greg Williams. You're talking about maybe never being a D coordinator again. I mean, they're coaching for their opportunity. I don't think either of these coaches are ever going to coach again. Well, that's my point, but that's my point. The point is they would never do that to themselves. They wouldn't sabotage themselves for a season that they probably won't even be here for the Jets to win or lose or draft whoever they're talking about. They would never. That's an an interesting question. Do you believe that Adam Gase or Greg Williams will ever get a coaching job again? I think Greg Williams will get a coordinator job again. I don't think Adam Gates will never uh, ever be a, a uh, head coach again. Possibly a if coordinator. You're a, if you're it, but my question coach. is, my question is about a, a decision that is this egregious, that has never been done in history. If you're a head coach, do you want a defensive coordinator that at the end of the game you need to be monitoring what they're saying and making sure that they're not doing this? Do you believe that this could be a decision is so crippling to his coaching career because of the confidence? That a head coach might not have in him anymore. No, I mean he he also got over what was it the the the, the bounty gate down there. He got over that. I mean he got another job. Yeah, he but got when you but when you combine all of this now together, well, Tony, he was on the you just mentioned it. He was on the zero and sixteen Browns team. He was a coordinator then. He these coordinators get job opportunities all the time. The the league is a a retread type of league. They get opportunities every single year. And I, I think Greg Williams will get another opportunity. Maybe he's a linebacker coach for a year. Then he'll be the defensive coordinator. I, I just think he will. That's how the NFL. And I am not. I am not hoping that a man doesn't get a job again. I just know that if I was the owner of a franchise and they, and I said, okay, let me hear about your cabinet. Let me hear about your DC. Mm-hmm. And you said, I got this guy. Uh, he was on two winless teams. He was in charge of Bounty Gate, and he called the most egregious play at the end of a game ever to lose excited to have him i would be like i'm sorry you got to find another guy well yeah. like i would look i would look at your at your potential hires and i go i don't want to put my billion dollar franchise in this person's well, hands to I'm me sorry. to me it would depend on who you have on your team if i have some of the best cornerbacks in the league and i'm saying i'm going to get the most aggressive uh blitz coordinator then I'm not going to. I'm not going to hire the 50, 60 year old retread. I'm going to find a, a guy that I can build a franchise around. I'm going to go find Patrick Graham from the New York Giants. I'm going to go find my Brian Flores. You know, I'm going to go find uh, a, a young defensive mind. This is the way I've always done it. Get out. That's just that's just me. But yeah, I, I, I what you're talking about is the realities of the system. Absolutely. And that is what's if you know what. If Greg Williams gets another job, oh, he will, he will. That's, that's just how, how the system is is, is set yeah. up. Uh, speaking of the team that he was on, the Browns, they are now nine and three, mm-hmm. according to uh, Kornacki. Uh, they are now a ninety-seven percent chance to make the playoffs. Uh, more on him later. 
Baker Mayfield throws four touchdowns in the first half, second time he's done it, which is incredible. They finally play in a, in a good environment. Nick Chubb's run, uh, running angry. The, the offense, the play actions, the rollouts, they go up huge at 1.38 to 7. Uh, and I'll tell you what, that Browns defense tackles. You did not see a lot of A.J. Brown or Derrick Henry getting loose after that first guy made contact. And the Browns are sitting here. And if the Steelers somehow stumble against Washington, don't look now. But uh, how, how impressed were you with, with Baker and the Browns? Uh, I, I want to give them credit because I feel like people have been calling them an overrated 8-3 and three these last few weeks. Yeah, I was impressed you know, with Baker, the way that he played. I, you know, When I watched his football team yesterday, I'm saying that I'm more impressed with Kevin Stefanski. He, he has figured out the game plan that he wants to play. He wants to play balanced football, run the football, and they actually passed the ball a little bit more yesterday because Baker was just hot. But balanced football, run the football down your throat. Now we're going to do some play-action pass, and Baker just was on target. I mean, he was accurate yesterday, and he had some problems in before with that. Then you're also going to play great defense. Miles Garrett coming off the edge, strip sacks, all different types of things. And so they kind of go together. You remember back in the day when Minnesota was really good? They were running the football and playing great defense. This yes. is this is this is what this is. Same thing, San Francisco. Run the football, play great defense, use your play-action pass. And so I, I love the way Stefanski and Baker I, have I, done that. And this is a team that didn't have their best cornerback, Denzel nope. Ward, Mm-mm. that didn't have a starting safety, Ronnie Harrison. How much of a, of a because of the way they're built, do you give them a chance in some of these AFC playoff games, whether it's against, uh, they got Buffalo coming up mm-hmm. a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the Raiders, the Ravens, the Steelers, we know about the Chiefs. I feel like they're on a different level. Uh, Dolphins, uh how, how do you think the Browns match up with everybody but the Chiefs? The way that I think about it is in the playoffs, we're talking January football, wherever they play at, it may be raining, it may be snowing, it may get nasty, it may get ugly. They're built for that type of football. They're built to run the ball down your throat. This is the first thing I put in my notes. The bullies got bullied. The, the mm. team like Tennessee that wants to run it down your throat, smash them out football, they got bullied yesterday by a team that dominated the the Browns, dominated the line of scrimmage, dominated the trenches on both sides of the ball, and they got punched in the mouth. And it was one of those things they had no response to, especially early. You got to wonder if you're you're a Titans fan is – did they shoot their wide against the Colts the year the, the week before? Mm. Did they give it all the week before and kind of overlook the Browns just a bit? Um, but listen, I love Stefanski. I love the way that he's done this thing. And I, I think that when you have Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, it's, it makes it so much easier on Baker. And he yeah. was on target yesterday. Second big game for the Titans where they're up against a t- another team with a great record earlier this year was Pittsburgh where, and both games were at home where they they put themselves in like a 21 point hole this game even more in both games they roared back mm-hmm. but it wasn't enough and that does give me a little bit of hope for the Titans I also wonder if there was a little bit of re- revenge uh, last year before the week one of the year it was Browns Titans I interviewed Kevin Bayard during the offseason and there was all the talk about the Browns being the it team mm-hmm. And the Titans went out there and beat them by 30. And that was sort of the Titans announcing themselves to the world last year. Hey, we're going to come out of nowhere and be a team of reckoning this year. That was the A.J. Brown coming out game. Derrick Henry was great. And I, it almost felt like the Browns were like, we're going to go into your place and we're going to repay the favor. The thing that I get excited for the Browns, and I don't want to give a headline that I feel like gets more attention. 
But with Jarvis Landry being banged up and Odell Beckham not playing, it's really forced the Browns to get to the offensive system that they should have been in all along. I'm looking at the snaps right now. Austin Hooper had more snaps than Rashad Higgins, Jarvis Landry, and Donovan Peoples-Jones. He had more snaps than, not Mm -hmm. combined, but each of them individually. Harrison Bryant, their second tight end, had only two less snaps than their third wide receiver. And David Njoku, all three of their tight ends had over 30 snaps. And this is a kind of Brown system that I was expecting to see all year. I want minimum two tight ends out there. And and sometimes I want Chubb and Hunt out there together. And so I, I think sometimes because of the salary that they're paying Odell Beckham, that they felt obligated to have at least Odell and Landry out there at all times. Um, and, and the true thing is, is I think the Browns are a team that are great with one wide receiver out there. And sometimes I think the personnel is, was, was making them play a system that they're not the best at. Because what we saw yesterday, that's the Browns. Yeah. That's the way that Baker succeeds. I, the amount of conversations I've had with Warren Sharp about Baker Mayfield is a top five quarterback in the NFL when playing from a heavy formation, multiple tight ends, multiple running backs. And it's his ability to roll out and use that athleticism that we saw when he caught a pass, his ability to see the field clearer and and to understand that if the Browns play this type of system moving forward, they really can compete with anybody. And I'm just wondering that even when Odell comes back, let's – because I'm I'm loving these heavy tight end formations. Don't lose your identity because of the personnel. Yeah, the question is, will Odell accept that? I mean, will he? Because again, your stats, wide receiver stats are are key. Will he accept that lesser of a role there? And I, I think he's going to have to, especially if they're winning football games. One, one thing, this was a great win for the Browns because so many people questioned the eight and three record before the game because they were just beating beat up on the NFC East. They beat up on teams, but. They hadn't really yeah. won. The only game I'm thinking back to was back in October. They played the Colts. They won that game. That was yeah. really the only game on their their schedule that you're Phillip Rivers was miserable. Yeah, that Phillip Rivers was bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that was the only game on their the whole schedule that you're like ah that's a quality win. All the other ones are like ah you, these are you're beating up on the yeah. bad teams. And you know I, I love that. You know you talked about something I think is key. What they do with Baker. And his ability to get the ball out of his hands quickly, as long as he's not patting the ball, patting the ball, and then that's when he makes bad decisions. He's one of those guys you're saying, hey, it's a three-step drop, get the ball out. We're not going to have you in seven-step drops. We're going to put you in three-step drops, and we're going to allow you to throw the football. That's what they did uh, this week, and it, it certainly worked. Very impressed. Uh, obviously, there's concerns about tight. I was concerned about A.J. Brown, his ankle, uh, for a second there. But th- this is also a Titans team that, let's remember, they lost their best offensive lineman and probably the heart of that team, Taylor Lewan, a few weeks mm-hmm. ago. And then the day before this game, they lose Isaiah Wilson, their first round pick that has now been suspended, I think, for the second time. And all the reports about this kid are, are troubling. So this is a team that wants to out physical you and they're down two left tackles. Yeah. That's that's big for a team. Uh, I have questions about it still. And that secondary is a mess. Uh, and now it's time to talk about uh, a team that we have a legit quarterback controversy. Uh, I I just want to say one thing before we get to the Eagles quarterbacks. I I have written here 
six names for offensive player of the year that I'm thinking about right now. Okay. Travis Kelsey, Tyree Kill, Devontae Adams, DK Metcalf, Derrick Henry, and Dalvin Cook. Those are the six guys that are non-quarterback positions that I felt have been the most dominant this season. Darius Slay went back-to-back week in covering the top two wide receivers by himself on an island. Mm-hmm. And so he went up against Devontae Adams and DK Metcalf one-on-one the entire game without help. And did the Eagles get him to, to be a guy that can defend number ones? Sure. At the same time, like, that's insane. Like, like, there's only one guy that I would trust doing that, and that's Jalen Ramsey. There's no other cornerback, not even Stefan Gilmore, that I'm like, oh, they're going to have success. Am I, am I defending Darius Slay too much? Uh, what do you, am I being too nice, Westbrook? Well, I, I think the Eagles have gone a long time without having that guy that they felt they could just put on another guy and just take him away. And now when you pay a big-time free agent, you think you have that guy. And they they felt like coming into these games, Metcalf would get his, Adams would get his, but at least Slade would slow them down. They wouldn't have the type of days that they actually ended up having. Complete destruction. That was yeah. that's the big big time issue. We we thought they were going to catch some balls, but not 150. 100, I mean, the, the type yeah. of balls that they were able to catch. One seventy seven, yeah, two touchdowns. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to say that it's going to happen. And really, I reached out to Darius Slade last night and was just like, "Hey, man." keep your head up, blah, 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 you know, those types of things. But he got beat up the last couple of games. And here's the other part. If you're going to play that type of defense, if you're going to play, I'm going to play my best against your best, you better be hoping that your D-line is a factor in the game. And they have not been a factor in the game. So if I'm Darius Slay, listen, I got beat up. I understand that I'm big enough and understand that I that, yeah. that I got to do better. But I also want my defensive line to play better too. There's a reason why I'm playing man-to-man so we can add somebody else uh, to to that that pass rush, and they have to be able to get home too. You're right. Aaron Rodgers had two or three times where he got to crow hop he's, into a deep ball, and you're like, "How does pocket. he have that much space in the pocket?" Yeah. I'll I'll say this too about Darius Slay. It made me realize on one of Devontae Adams' long catches uh, yesterday. Do you remember when Darius Slay intercepted Carson Wentz to ice the game for the Lions? Uh, it was like two years mm-hmm. ago. That was when Darius Slay really came on my radar as a star. But what he did on that play, it was Nelson Aguilar. I remember that vividly. Um, What he did, I didn't realize this was his way of playing corner. Darius Slay is a 4-3 guy. Darius Slay, when there's a deep ball, he actually drifts off purposefully to give the quarterback seemingly a window and then typically can outrun guys and makes a play on the ball. I, that's a real strategy of how some guys play corner. Like, I feel like D'Angelo Hall used to do that a lot, too. Am I right, Russell? Dion did it a little bit, too, just to make you feel like the guy's open, then yes. he can go and get it. Yeah. Well, it's the second time in back-to-back weeks where he tried it on a guy. The problem is, is DK Metcalf is a 4-3 guy, and Devontae Adams just had too much. There was too many, and he was too strong with the ball at the point of attack. That's hands. But it just it just made me realize, like, Darius Slay is not one of these jam-at-the-line-of-scrimmage, no. true mm-hmm. shutdown guys. He really is a... I can run with anybody guy. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, is run with anybody guys. You got to also be insane in terms of pinpointing that ball. And I just, I'm not seeing it. So 
Yeah. Um, am I? I just wanted to know if I was right. No, the way I was reading no, his coverage. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, he's like he is one of these guys that want to be able to run to run with you and then make a play at the ball at the end. But again, if you haven't had that. We had that in Ronald Darby. So I don't, that's what I'm saying is we already had yeah, that but guy. It, but Ronald Darby is much smaller, but no, you're right about that. But if you got an accurate throw or a guy that just can outrun you, DK Metcalf, it's just hard to win that. And Devontae Adams, and, and they, I don't know that he gets mm. enough credit for this. The 50 50 ball, he's winning every one of those. If there's a jump ball, and Aaron Rodgers knows this, if there's a jump ball, he's going to win every single one of those strong hands at the point of, 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 of the catch. He goes up, elevates over everyone else, and he's not, you know, he's not six three, six four. He's a, you know, he's a little bit shorter than that, but he makes plays all over the field. And Aaron Rodgers, you you can't you can't undersell the fact that his accuracy, putting the ball exactly where a receiver wants to catch it, yes, that, that that's meaningful, and he does it every single week. Devontae Adams over uh, like 1029 in terms of receiving yards, 13 touchdowns right now, tie with Tyreek Hill and Dalvin Cook in terms of touchdowns in their respective positions. But the thing with Devontae is they get around the 20 and he's either stiff arming his way into the end zone or he's out jumping people. And it's it seems as though that's the guy that Rodgers is looking for every time and it doesn't even matter. Uh, We got to talk about Actually, before we get to the Eagles quarterback situation, Ingber, can you read off some of the Rogers statistics and Devontae Adams statistics? Because uh, I doubted the Green Bay Packers before the year. I wasn't sure about Matt LaFleur and Rogers. And Rogers, it's him and Mahomes for MVP right now. And he's doing it historically too. Yeah, we'll start with Devontae Adams. It's from Field Yates. Over his last 16 games uh, into last season, 132 catches, almost 1,700 yards, and 17 mm. touchdowns. So just that would be his mm. full season of 16 games. Aaron Rodgers, through 12 games, has a 119.5 passer rating. So if the season ended today, that would rank number three all time between the legendary 2004 Manning season and the 2011 Rodgers season, uh, also an MVP season where he went Game looks so slow for him right now. He had... Mm-hmm. 36 touchdowns, four interceptions, and a 93.1 PFF grade, which was number two all-time and, behind 2016. And to Tom add Brady to that, grade. he faces the Detroit Lions in a dome next week. He faces the Carolina Panthers after that on prime time. The Tennessee Titans that just allowed all those points to the Browns, he faces them in Lambeau in a primetime game. And then after dropping 41 on the Bears two weeks ago, he closes out the season with them. And because there's one bye, you know he's going hard in every game because it's him versus the Saints right now. So I'm Aaron Rodgers is doing historic things. You had more, right? He also became the fastest to 400 career touchdown passes. That was from CBS. Took him just 193 games uh, to get there. In comparison, uh, Drew Brees took 205 games. Peyton Manning took 209 and Tom Brady took 212. So he did it in about 20 fewer games than some of the goats. And uh, also from NFL research, Devontae Adams with 1,000 receiving yards and 12 or more receiving touchdowns in the first 10 games of a season. Only four players have ever done that. Randy Moss, Terrell Owens, Marvin Harrison, and Jerry Rice. So when you start talking about that kind of company, and he missed a couple games, didn't he miss a couple games uh, this season? That's what made okay. it his first okay. ten okay. games yeah, of the season. That's, right. that's, that's just crazy. But his ability to get open, Aaron's ability to be accurate, 
And you really also got to remember, this offense is totally different than the one they're playing with in Kansas City. In Kansas City, it's just line it up and just let's go deep, let's find a way. This offense in, in Green Bay is more about get the run game going a little bit, and then we'll do some play action, and then we'll find Devontae Adams. It's not just running guns, sling the ball all over the place. And so for him to be able to get those types of stats in this offense, which is totally mm. different, it, it, to me, that that's just – it speaks volumes about Devontae Adams, but also about our league MVP, Aaron Rodgers. Oh, here we go again. Uh, the one thing I'll say, too, is this. Being real with you. Uh, two years ago, I would get very upset because the, the Packers and the Seahawks were doing what the Texans are doing to Deshaun Watson right now, which is... We don't got a lot of great players around you and our offensive system is super tough. We're going to need you to save our ass. Mm -hmm. The difference was Aaron Rodgers got hurt, missed half the season, and they got rid of Mike McCarthy and they brought in Matt LaFleur. Russell Wilson still has the same OC. He lost Daryl Bevel. They got Brian Schottenheim, but it's really the same shit. This Matt LaFleur offense because he comes from the Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay tree, it is all about multiplicity. And the difference is, is that Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay don't have a guy on the field right now that can take it to that next level. And Matt LaFleur does. Because the advantage of having an offense where everything looks the same is if you have a quarterback that can see the defense and do it on the fly, it mm -hmm. really is uncoverable. Because when you have a tight end, a wide receiver, and a running back in space, you are stressing the, the uh, discipline of a defense. And what we're seeing is the, the offensive style that is the it style in the NFL with one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. And I think it's it, this season has been that perfect marriage between the quarterback that can see and do it all. I think sometimes when we compliment Aaron Rodgers' brain, we don't talk about his arm talent and his ability to flick it. Um, I think it's the perfect storm in Green Bay right now. And I think there are times where I find the Packers' offense as debilitating as the Chiefs because of the stresses that he put on individual players. And then in the end, Kelsey – the, the Mahomes does have Tyreek and Kelsey, and, mm -hmm. and Rodgers does have um, uh, Adams, just Lizard. Adams. Yeah. But And I love Alan Lazard. The one thing I will say this, too, about Aaron Rodgers, now that he has 400 touchdowns, what's more impressive, too, is he has 88 interceptions. His touchdown-to-interception ratio is 4.55. So that means he has 4.55 more touchdowns than interceptions. Tom Brady is fourth all time at 2.99, which really is a testament to Tom Brady. Like that really mm -hmm. is incredible. For some more historical context, Drew Brees is 2.35. Steve Young is 2.17. Peyton Manning is 2.15. Think about that. Ben Roethlisberger is 1.97. Joe Montana is 1.96. And Aaron Rodgers is up there at 4.55. Peyton Manning, 2.15. Peyton Manning was um, 539 touchdowns to 251 interceptions. Aaron Rodgers is 400 to 88. It's crazy. You want to hear something crazy? You want to hear, hear something crazier? Patrick Mahomes is first all time. 
5.35. Patrick mm-hmm. Mahomes is 107 to 20 right now. So I just want to say that the top three in this, in the history of the game right now, in guys that have thrown over 100 touchdowns, is Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is 259 to 79. And don't look now, in fifth is Deshaun Watson at 95 to 35. But um, Deshaun Watson yesterday had a streak of 287 passes in a row without an interception get broken because he was throwing to a man whose name apparently was Chad Hansen and it bounced off of his hands. We'll get to him later. But um, let's talk about the quarterback controversy on the Eagles. <laughs> At the time of the move, did you agree with it? Because I did. Yes. And, and I would have argued that it probably should have happened earlier in the game. Um, but, you you know, you give Carson some opportunity to try to work himself out. And that's what they've been trying to do all season long. Find Carson the ability to work himself out of just ruts, bad games, bad quarters, bad series. And then at this point, it, I mean, again, it feels like Doug is hearing voices from someone much higher than him. Uh, in the organizational structure and saying, okay, put in Hurt and allow him to play this time. Not, you know, uh, put him in for a couple of plays and, and do this, that, and the other. No, put him in for some series and allow him to play, especially if Carson is struggling. Did you, Carson see, Carson's, struggling. Did you see Carson's post-game press conference on this? I did, yeah. So he said that Doug said, hey, we're going to put Hurts in for a play. And then Wentz said, and then I was surprised that he they just kept him in. And so it didn't sound like they ever said to Carson, hey, we're putting the young kid in, take a seat on the bench. Go watch the clip. I'm I'm sure one of the Philadelphia guys put it out, but Carson shrugged his shoulders 80 times in that postgame press conference doing this. Mm -hmm. I just, they they told me he wasn't going to come in and you could tell that he was shocked. You could tell that he was stunned after the game. From what you saw of Jalen Hurts, are you excited? Are you curious? Where, what did you think about his performance before I ask you the question, where do we go from here? Well, it looks like a rookie that hasn't practiced very much with the offense of uh, the first team. It looks like a rookie that doesn't have much playing experience in the NFL. But just like a rookie that's younger, has some legs, it gives you some excitement because if it isn't there, the first read, maybe the second read isn't there, right. he's taking off. That's what really – that's what Carson's skill set was early on in his career. Just, just take off and run and try to get some positive plays. And so I, I think he had a couple strong throws to the outside, good decisions. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's still a rookie and I would like to see him with a week with the starters. And I think that's what we're going to get this week. Mm. Just give me a full week of you practicing the plays with the number one team, taking all the reps, and then you'll get a better judgment of where he's at as far as talent wise quarterback in the NFL. Brian Westbrook, all-time Eagles great. After looking at the game against the Packers yesterday, who throws a better deep ball, Jalen Hurts or Carson Wentz? Yeah, J- Jalen Hurts at this point, yeah. Jalen Hurts. I mean, I, I don't know that Carson throws a great deep ball anyway. I, I mean, didn't I think never so, did. especially when he's around the 20 or 30. Always seems yeah. to go outside the end zone. Uh, all-time running back for the Philadelphia Eagles should be in the ring of honor if he's not already, Brian Westbrook. Uh, who do you think – handles the, a collapsed pocket better after watching yesterday Jalen Hurts or Carson Wentz? Well, Jalen Hurts certainly was much more comfortable in the pocket. There's Seemed no doubt about it. But but I'll, I'll, I'll say this. He hasn't been in the pocket as much as Carson has, and Carson has been amongst trouble, turmoil, being attacked all, all season long. So I, I, that kind of makes sense as well. 
which guy seems to have a better connection with the future at the wide receiver position, Jalen Rager, Jalen Hurts, or Carson Wentz? Jalen Hurts has a much better connection with everybody on the See, team than Carson yeah. Wentz already, which is, yeah. is, is telling in a way. How do you not go with him? How do you not? The only reason you don't is if you're seeing things in practice that makes you think he's really not ready because you are going to play the New Orleans Saints who has one of the toughest defenses in the NFL and you might not want to subject him to that. Any other reason, the kid should be in. I'm not saying or, forever. I'm saying or, right now. What do you got for me, Mr. Orr? Yeah, no, no. I, I think I think for right now, certainly. But or if you're looking at the salary cap implications next season, because if he goes out and plays well, let's say for some reason he goes out and beats the Saints this week and he plays three the three next games well, right? Doug calls different offense, same thing he did with Nick Foles. They find a way to win the next three, four games. At that point, now you have an issue. And what you don't want to have is an issue because there's a money issue. There's this $60 million on cap next year, $40 million after that. I figured it out. I figured it out. I figured out why this Eagles quarterback controversy is so frustrating me with these Eagles fans. Because listen, when they drafted Jalen Hurts, everybody said, oh, wait, why you just paid Carson Wentz. Why would you invest draft, draft capital? Because the average of their salaries is a normal quarterback room. They are paying Jalen Hurts nothing. The Eagles came out this offseason and said they want to invest in the backup quarterback position because they think it is one of the most valuable things in any football team. If Carson Wentz, if Jalen Hurts comes out these next four games and goes 4-0 and and blows all our socks off, you're putting Carson Wentz at backup because if there's any franchise that knows the importance of a qualified backup, it's the team that Nick Foles won a Super Bowl for. So if, if Jalen Hurts is great, I don't care that we're paying our backup quarterback $30 million because we're paying our starting quarterback $1.2 so, so I don't really care. Put them in the room together. If Jalen Hurts is great, this whole contract thing, it was a bad investment. Howie Roseman is going to have to figure this out. And if he doesn't, it'll likely cost him something that has three letters in it. But if Jalen Hurts is the guy, that's great. This whole albatross, the reason that you drafted Jalen Hurts is because he's on a, a contract that's like $6 million over the next four years. Who cares if we're paying co- the, the quarterback position is probably right around average for the rest of the NFL. And that would be my reasoning. Yeah, that would be terrible reasoning if you're running a franchise because <laughs> you just paid him over $128 million. I cannot change the past. I cannot change the past. Absolutely cannot change the past. But that's why players play. That's why number one draft picks play. That's why guys that get paid money play because there are decisions that are made at a much higher level than the coaching level that say, listen, you guys told me to guarantee over a hundred million dollars to this guy. I did that as an owner, play him. That's my investment. You you, you don't, you don't mess with that type of investment. You don't don't, put them on a bench for sure. I don't think there's any franchise that's more ready to move on from a quarterback than the Eagles are. Okay. There's no doubt about it. and, And so I don't think Jeffrey Lurie is stupid. I, I, I mean, I, I think he's actually a pretty savvy businessman. 
And mm-hmm. I think he understands that just because I, there are $30 million coming out of my money to pay Carson Wentz, that I am not going to sabotage the future of my franchise. If anything, I'm going to call in Howie Roseman and I'm going to say, what is your plan to get out of this? But to hamstring the future of a franchise because I'm paying somebody too much, that's crazy. That Now I would lose faith in Jeffrey Lurie. Like, this is not a baseball podcast, but if you're the owner of the Phillies and you just gave a guy a five-year contract for $100 million, and then you say, hey, we're going to trade him because we're cutting down costs, that's the shit that as a fan you hate if he's cheap. But this is a, this is a franchise that has pride themselves on pivoting. It's time to pivot. Now, I'm not saying it's time to pivot. That was too much. I didn't mean to be that way. I'm saying that if <laughs> Jalen Hurts proves over the next few weeks, but in my opinion, Jalen Hurts proved that he can protect himself yesterday. He's not hes not a wooden Indian in the pocket, uh, so you're not worried about him getting abused like that. To your point, he clearly cannot read a defense yet, and that's okay. But hey, Mr. Press Taylor, who we're going to spend all offseason talking about how you invented Philly Philly, all these young gun minds in the offense. Now's the time, you know, like how many times have we seen with Doug Peterson where it's back against the wall and they come out with an offense that suddenly makes sense for the next four weeks? So I just, I just think there was a legitimate spark and to think about Carson Wentz's contract at a time like this is just hamstringing a franchise. There was a spark, and I, I, I think that it would be absolutely like any fan to not consider the contract. I don't think that that happens at all in the NFL. I think contracts are always going to be considered. Here's a hard part for, for, uh, for, for Jalen Hurts. You're playing against one of the best defenses in the league this week coming yeah. up. And the pressure of having to score, especially, especially if Drew Brees comes back, and you know what he's able to do, putting pressure on an opposing offense with his ability to score the ball. And really, Taysom Hill, this the, this last week, has looked really, really good as far as running and throwing. So, yeah, that's more pressure, too. That That's going to put Hurts in a bad position. When the Eagles drafted Jalen Hurts, who did they say was their model? Taysom, Taysom Hill. Hill. Yeah. Taysom Hill is now 3-0. and Is he the best quarterback in the NFL? No. Is he the worst quarterback in the NFL? No. But what you just said that he's growing into it. And there's a there's a multiplicity of that offense. And when you see Taysom Hill on third down, truck a DB and get that first down, you go, there's an identity there. Is it mm-hmm. the same as it was before? No. But I he just think, gotta, I just think it's ironic it that, that they said that they want to do it like Taysom Hill. And now in a time where they might start him, it might be against that guy who's 3-0. and Just saying. Yeah. Yeah, as I look at Taysom Hill, we gotta we gotta also take into account who they play. We gotta take into account that he now played the yes. Falcons twice, and that that I think that plays into it just a little bit as well. I, I agree, um, but I I think that you know what we're gonna learn a lot about Doug because we're gonna learn about uh, how much control he has on roster management and decision making. I think we're also gonna learn uh, his ability to adapt on the fly again. Because I'll say this, if they do put out Jalen Hurts and it's the same offense that Carson Wentz has been running, then then this ain't the coach for us. Because I agree with you, Jalen Hurts in that system against the Saints is a losing battle. Doug Peterson needs to have a new system for Jalen Hurts and it has to, it has to maximize his abilities. One of the things I saw yesterday 
was Jalen Hurts come off the sideline, come off the field on the sideline, and Doug Peterson sitting down talking to his quarterback. Hey, listen, we, they don't have the cameras only on the sideline throughout the, every single game this season. But at no point this season have I seen Doug Peterson even talking to Carson Wentz, let alone sitting down on the bench and having a conversation, going over the iPad or whatever else. And so I think that there is a big time disconnect between the coach and the player. And, you know, again, it goes back to a lot of things that people have said before. They, they, they've said a lot of negative things about Carson's personality. And you just have to wonder that any of those things are true and playing out between the relationship between him and Doug. Um, to that, did you see the 40 seconds of video after the game of Aaron Rodgers talking to both quarterbacks? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That was, I, I, if I could get that mic'd up, it was riveting. Because here's the thing, I'm watching it and the camera's obviously on Jalen Hurts and so many of the Packers were coming over and dapping him up, which was very yeah. interesting. Yeah. And then he goes to Rogers and I'm in my apartment yelling, he got the Rogers convo because a lot of these quarterbacks, they do like one combo with the quarterback and then they leave. And you could tell Rogers was leaning back, not talking a lot, and Jalen Hurts was talking a lot. And, and I would imagine it was things like, I think you're one of the greatest of all time. It was so cool talking to you. I don't know if there was a jersey request. But then he kind of ran off and all that. Camera goes somewhere else. Camera comes back, and now it's Aaron and Carson. Carson has the helmet on. Aaron now has the helmet off. Or no, no. Aaron had the helmet on, Carson the helmet off, and Aaron was in his ear like Draymond Green to KD in that gift that everybody uses, just mm -hmm. talking to him. And I, I thought it was so interesting that, you know, Rogers is smiling with Hertz, but then was really pouring into Carson Wentz. And Aaron has been in that situation too. Aaron knows what it's like to have an entire fan base question him. Uh, the Green Bay Packers and the way they treated Aaron Rodgers after Brett Favre left uh, is very similar to how the Eagles are with Carson Wentz, Eagles fans. And Green Bay Packers fans will say, no, we're titled town and we shouldn't be compared. They booed this man. They said he was never going to be Brett Favre. And that's kind of how Eagles fans have been with Carson Wentz after Nick Foles. You know what I mean? There's always been a disconnect. And um, I, I just thought it was very riveting television to watch Rodgers coach up Carson there. And I'm, I'm curious what happens. Yeah, the body language was completely different. Um, as he was talking to Hertz, it felt like he was they were having a good conversation, like yeah. relaxed conversation. Man, yeah, I love you too, blah, blah, blah. Then when it came to Carson, I think, and this is weird, but when I talk about the players and how they feel about Carson on his own team, it was a different feel for that conversation. And of course, I think Aaron was basically telling him, keep your head up, those types of things. That's cool. But again, for the quarterback position, a lot of how the players around you accept you is is, is the way that they can approach mm. you. And I have to wonder how approachable is Carson, how coachable is Carson, not just from this conversation, but, you know, the conversations with the guys on his team, some of the comments have come out. But, yeah, Aaron certainly was 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 letting him know, keep your head up type of thing. Things like this happen, and you're going to get another opportunity. You're too talented to be down continuously in the NFL. And, and I'm, I, you know, there's been a lot of bad things said about Aaron Rodgers. Just over the time, he's smug, yeah. you know, kind of aloof in different ways. But for him to step back and say, you know, I'm 37 now. I'm going to talk to this fifth-year quarterback because he's struggling in a way that I may have struggled early on in my career and judged in that way. 
that was really big, big of him. And that just reminds me that the NFL certainly is a fraternity. It's a brotherhood of guys that are all trying to accomplish the same thing, live out their, their childhood dream. That was always the rumor that was being propagated out of the Eagles locker room that I found the most interesting, which was that Carson was egotistical and he thought he mm -hmm. was better than. It's the story mm -hmm. that, that it kept coming out when there was divides in the locker room. I'm curious, have you ever been on a team where a guy, let's assume that that rumor is true, but I'm really talking about in generalities, that there was a guy that really thought he was great and he treated people less than, and he was able to turn that around. Have you ever been in a locker room where some dude did an about face, got humbled and became a good teammate? I'm not saying that's Carson. I'm just saying in general. Um, you know, I, I've, I've been on teams with just great dudes. Just great people that just solid dudes that understood they understood their place. Donovan McNabb, I'll give you an example. Don, uh, ironically, I spoke to him last night. He was bigger than anyone on our offense, at least, and maybe Doc on the other side was. But Donovan was the man. He was Chunky's Campbell Soup. He was the man at the time, and he never treated people that way. It was always a fun, light environment. People liked playing with him, like playing for him, and I, I get a different feel for the guys. Uh, from the guys that play with Carson, they they do feel like, and and there have been times where he he has gotten credit for things he doesn't deserve. Certainly gotten paid before he has mm -hmm. won anything, and 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 in the locker room that doesn't necessarily um, stand up very well because guys are always questioning like, okay, y'all pay this dude, and right. I don't even think he's that good, and he certainly hasn't won enough games. People feel that way in the locker room, and when you listen to some of the comments coming out of there, um, I, I think it certainly. Uh, says a, a little bit about the way that Carson handles some things, not being approachable, not wanting to listen to the vets. And also, when you think about the coach, remember, you don't see Doug Peterson backing up Carson in the press conferences and anything that he says. He's always like, you know, it's always Carson and you know, Yo, Sean McVay Doug. and Doug Peterson are so fed up with their fifth year quarterbacks. Oh, yeah. it's, and yeah. They've seen enough, it feels like. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. um, that's why I was asking. It's Look, this is a guy that I think Carson is a good dude. I think he's probably a great guy. Um, and I, I would imagine that it's hard being a quarterback of an NFL franchise. Uh, of there's a lot on your shoulders, um, especially as you're starting a new family and all that stuff. In a city like Philadelphia, I can't even imagine. Mm -hmm. um, with all that being said, I'm very curious to see if who he if if how he is perceived in that locker room changes, uh, because that 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 man that's a philosophical thing to go well, up, to go in front of the team and say, listen, I fucked up. That's, because if guys it. feel that way, and that's you know what? How funny is it that it comes full circle? That that's all we needed from David. All yeah. we needed from David was to stand up in front of us today and say, I fucked up. And we go, yeah. we got you. And and sometimes it's really that simple. And I feel like that's what Carson Wentz needs to do. I don't know if it hasn't happened in the locker room. Well, he, that's, well the that's the funny thing. Keep getting. He did that on Friday. He stood up in front of the team and said, listen. No way. Yeah, he did that on this Friday. I, I'm surprised you haven't heard about it. Yeah, he did that on Friday. He said, I've messed up. I put us in bad situations, in bad wow. places. And, um, you know, I'm going to try to, to fix me. And I, if I fix me, then we'll be in a best, better, much better place. He did that on Friday. Here's the question. If you're on that team, you've Does been he... saying that for the last 12 weeks, 10 weeks, whatever it is. Yeah. Now, is it too little too late? That's you're the right. point. It's sort, of, it's sort of like when my uh, fiance tells me to do something for weeks and then out of nowhere, I go, you know what? I think I'm going to take out the trash on Sundays. And she's like, I've been <laughs> right, telling right, you right. that. 
I can't yeah. even say it in the right. Exactly. Uh, it's a, it's a very interesting time. The Saints will be a tough uh, position for them. Uh, and I will say, shout out to Jalen Rager. Uh, man, it's I'm, I'm happy that he got a, a big-time play in him, whether it was the, the big-time catch down the sideline or the punt return. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it was good to see it. At the same point, Justin Jefferson is fourth in the NFL in yards and fourth in the NFL in averages, and I believe that Ingber has a stat that says that only him and Randy Moss have done something. And while I, I will always root for Jalen Rager and I'll hope for him um, – Jalen Rager didn't have a lot of separation on that deep ball and he mm-hmm. barely shook the punter and Justin Jefferson is out there. It to me, he's giving me AJ green vibes. That's like the, the vibes that I'm getting out of him. Uh, but damn, that kid is good. What were the stats Ingber? Let's just pour it into my wounds. <laughs> yeah, there were actually two, uh, two, two that'll hurt you equally. Um, this one's the first one, the one that you mentioned. Justin Jefferson's go-ahead touchdown, this is from Tom Pelissero, makes him just the fifth player in the Super Bowl era to top 1,000 receiving yards in his first 12 career games. The others were Odell Beckham, Marcus Colston, mm. remember how great that rookie season was, Anquan Bolden and Randy Moss, unbelievable. And then the other one was about, well, we, we've talked about how much uh, DK Metcalf hurts. <laughs> Um, this is from Potato Taco on Reddit. Justin Jefferson and DK Metcalf are now tied for the NFL lead in receiving yards at 1,039. Jalen Rager and JJ Arstega Whiteside, Howie Roseman's quote unquote diamonds in the rough, selected before these two, have a combined 267. Great yards point, Ingber. Hey, let's stop taking diamonds in the rough in the first two rounds. You know who was a diamond in the rough? The guy that I'm talking to a third round pick out of Villanova. That's a diamond in the rough. What you don't take a diamond in the rough in the first round. I, I, I'm just going to, let me just get it out really quick. I said it on draft night. I'll say it again. When you have a guy that sets a record of catches in the sec, and he is literally burning SEC defenses, maybe he's the guy. If you have a guy in the SEC who is built like an Adonis, maybe let's go with him over the guy that's supposedly a jump ball artist in JJ who has a less vertical than him. He's going to help us in the red zone. I just, that's a great point about diamonds in the rough. I have no problem with Howie Roseman liking guys. I have a problem with you taking them in the first round. Sometimes you just need a diamond that's like on yes. display in the diamond store. It's like the, there's a reason why the, there's this really beautiful they diamond. Diamonds they were diamonds. already in the ring. Thinks yes. They were diamonds. They were like, <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, is Michael Thomas comes out and goes, man, this Justin Jefferson guy is for real. Odell Beckham was saying this guy was for real in college. DK Metcalf, never seen a guy like it ever. I just... that, that let, Let's put that all together just to wrap up the Eagles. J.J. Ortega-Whiteside... Uh, Jalen Rager, Carson Wentz's contract. Howie Roseman, do you have an answer? And if not, I don't know what you're going to say. Yeah, here's going to put that even in more perspective. Over the last four years, they, the Eagles have had 28 picks. Out of those 28 picks, I'm counting four starters: Jordan Maialata, the left tackle; Derek Barnett because of injury. Yep, Derek Barnett, Miles Sanders, and Dallas Goddard. Miles Sanders. 
starting to look like a question mark a little bit. I think Dallas Goddard is a player. Um, Jordan, of course, made it because he is uh, the injury. And Derek Barnett, he's come on and then he's faded. So he's been in and out. So those are your best options the last four years out of 28 picks. Watchers of the Bleacher Report draft show know how I feel about Derek Barnett. And it, uh, I, I, I have not missed in talking about the Eagles drafts. The only one that I missed was I was a little bit high on Carson Wentz, but I think it was understandable. But I, Marcus Smith, just all of them. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's the easy thing in the draft. Go to the SEC and pick out of those guys. If you do that, the odds that, that you hit are almost 50-50, 70-30, something like that. I mean, you have a much better it's, it's, it's chance It's the equivalent of, of this. It's the equivalent of this. You could have been right on let, – let's just talk about fantasy, right? If you're in the second round of a fantasy draft and you're sitting there and you're looking at Travis Kelsey, but you're going, I don't know. I'm thinking Kenyon Drake could got, be the guy. <laughs> yeah, but you don't have to take him there. You can take him later. And I think mm -hmm. that's the thing with Jalen Rager. I hate when GMs say that we think that a lot of guys were targeting them. No. The video came out. Ingber made me watch it last week. People were going, there's no way Justin Jefferson gets there. That's the, like, okay. Well, I'm, I'm going to tell you this on the same subject. Ah! One of my good friends is a scout for the Vikings. And as soon as we picked Rager, he was like, he sent me a text. Oh, my God, you guys made the biggest mistake ever. Because the Vikings were obviously. Why haven't you told me this? I thought I told you. You know, it is what it is. He but, texted I mean, I you right you away and said you made. Yeah, that. yeah. And yeah. it's not right a away. comment on Rager. It's a comment on missing out on Justin Jefferson. There were thoughts. Wow, that, bro. That, that Jefferson Tilted. can only play the slot, which is which was just dumb. That was just a bad bad thought. Yeah. Yeah. He is balling out with Kirk Cousins. He is balling out to a level that Stefan Diggs is balling out in Buffalo, and nobody cares. No, nobody is even forgetting, I mean, remembering that Stefan Diggs is on that football team. I would ask you right now, would you rather have Justin Jefferson or Stefan Diggs? Yeah, you go, you go Jefferson. It's close. You have to. Yeah, you go Jefferson. And they're paying at, like one-tenth. That's, that's the issue. That's the thing. Yeah, Man. Okay, let's just actually, can we put ourselves into place? Do-do-do-do-do. Under center, close your eyes, Westbrook. Under center, you have a fixed Carson Wentz. Why? Because he's so comfortable. Why is he mm -hmm. so comfortable? Because he looks to his right, and there's DK Metcalf wearing mm -hmm. that wearing that midnight oh, green man. pacifier mouthpiece, triceps flaring, calves are practically mooing. He's got Ertz and Goddard in the middle. Oh, offensive lines feeling great. Miles Sanders behind him. And oh, what's out there to the left? Oh, it's Lancasaurus Rex. Justin Jefferson. He's just got the sinewy body. Arms are hanging down to his ankles. And he looks left and he sends DK Metcalf in motion. They're clumped up on the left. And he drops back and he goes, who gives a shit? And he throws it up in the air. And it's a touchdown every time. That's what it could have been, Howie. <laughs> that's what it could have that, been. That's, that's so unfair, though. It's, I, I get you the Jefferson. Is it? Because yeah. here's the deal. No, 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 no. I don't think it's unfair. I've thought about this. If you drafted a different position, then it's unfair because you were taking team need. But in both cases, you took a wide receiver. 
which means yeah. you evaluated the wide receiver position and said JJ and Jalen over DK and Justin. And yeah. so that's why it is okay. If they would have well, taken a pass rusher or a tackle, you can't compare apples to oranges. Motherfucker, this is Macintosh to Macintosh. Well, the difference is, I think Justin Jefferson comparison is probably fair, but the DK Metcalf, there were other teams that took other receivers in between them. I, but this isn't about that, the other teams. Well, yeah, but there were a bunch of teams that said, you know what, DK Metcalf coming off of, did he have a broken back, something crazy like that in college, that we couldn't trust him. He couldn't run the full route tree. You're a bunch of teams. The number that, that, one the reason they said they wanted J.J. Ortega-Whiteside was because they wanted a difference maker in the red zone. They said mm -hmm. his ability to pinpoint balls atop and get 50-50 balls was the reason. And I would ask you now, who's a better who's a better red zone jump ball guy than D.K.? No, again, that's your comparison. You're comparing now, of course. D.K. is one of the best receivers in the game. There's no doubt about that. You, you can't you can't go back and say, well, what, how did that work out? You can't you can't say that. Why, why did you guys choose Marvin Harris? I mean, why didn't you guys choose Reggie Wayne instead of Freddie Mitchell? You can't go back and do that. That's un, that's just unfair. I mean, D.K. Metcalf is balling out. He has a much better quarterback too. That's a big difference. Okay. Hey, we're drafting him because he's a red zone guy. What would you say is the combine drill that is most indicative of jump balls and red zone success? Vertical? Probably. JJ had a 34-inch vertical. DK had a 40-inch vertical. I, there's just no metric in which it would have ever made sense. Well, we knew he was going to test out a gym. I mean, we knew that. I mean, yeah, just look dude, at his but body. Dude, this he is Howie Roseman. Out. Howie Roseman is the king of drafting guys two rounds too early and saying we had to get him. No, I, I agree. I'm not trying to argue the fact. I okay. agree with you, but I think it's unfair that, I mean, because you're looking at one of the best receivers in the league and saying, well, why we didn't draft him earlier? Well, why did any of the other teams in the first round that drafted wide receivers in the first round, why didn't they draft him in the first round? Because there, there were some issues. There were some red flags there. Well, then you know what? You know what? That's even more sad that we have a front office that would care about the decisions of other teams. Yeah. I, I mean. Oh, you're, you're just you, saying you, that there was back. You have a draft board. Yeah, you have a draft board. That's why. You know who's back? Who's, you know which athletes' backs I trust the most? The ones that have insane abs because that's how you protect your back. That's not crazy. That's like. Physiolo physiological. Am I right? I just watched Kevin Hart talk about how he got into a car accident. The only reason his back wasn't hurt. Abs. <laughs> okay. That's I'm science. Um, well, speaking of Justin Jefferson and rookie of the year, Justin Herbert feces faced faced. He also was a little feces. Uh, a buzzsaw that is known as Belichick versus a rookie quarterback. Ingber, cue up the stat. Because I am going to, I just said I wasn't going to bet anymore. I might bet on this again later, but the stat of Belichick versus rookie quarterbacks is incredible. Yeah, this is, uh, th this was floating around everywhere. I just happened to find it on Reddit from you, number 333. Uh, Bill Belichick is now 21 and five against rookie quarterbacks after his victory over Justin Herbert. Let's see the if Westbrook can guess them. Rookie quarterbacks that actually beat Belichick. Yeah, let's see if you can guess any. This is great. Uh, over the rookie quarterbacks. And I actually remember, I think, every single one of these games. I have no clue. To guess one. Uh, so one of them is undefeated right now. Ben. Big Ben. 
Yep. One of them has a Super Bowl, but has never gotten an MVP vote. Russell Wilson. That's right. One of them uh, was a Jets quarterback that got punched in the face and then got told that that was bad leadership. Mm, who was that? He was great at West Virginia. West Virginia. Who the, who the hell is His that? first name is the name of a very big cheesesteak place in Philadelphia. That? Yeah. Come on! Nope. Gino Smith. <laughs> Gino Smith. Legend. <laughs> Uh, another one just got his first win since 2014 as a starter. Huge upset. What? Hmm. We were talking about their defensive line before the show started. One of the truly great yes. Texas names. Like if you were going to make another uh, yes. Friday Night Lights, Baker this Mayfield. Is the name of the quarterback. Nope. Uh, he. Nah. Uh, his his <laughs> fir- his first name is the name of a malt liquor. Uh, Schiltz. Is there a Schultz in the NFL? Colt, Colt McCoy. Oh. <laughs> we were looking for old English McCoy. Um, and then another one, the, the final rookie that beat Bill Belichick. Remember that? <laughs> <laughs> this is another quarterback for the Jets who somehow also beat the Patriots twice in the playoffs, which continues to blow Mark my Sanchez? mind. Mark Sanchez? 2000, yeah. Wait, did Pat Mahomes not beat Belichick? That wasn't his rookie uh, no, year. No, Remember, actually, Alex Smith was a rookie, played when he was his rookie year, right? And that was the Kareem Hunt game. Yeah, yeah. Kareem Hunt went off. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. But so he's twenty-one and five. Um, what I what I like to do is bring in a little bit of sports card talk because I do feel like it is the sports card stock market for athletes. A uh, lot of talk about people returning their Justin Herbert cards. And I'm sitting here going, let me scoop them up. This is what Belichick does. Mm. And, and, and it Gunnar Olszewski going crazy, but do I'm looking at possible rookie of the years now, because when you lose 45 to nothing, it is a huge step back. Now I will say Justin Herbert was already named rookie of the month for two months. So mm-hmm. that's a huge step up right there. But Justin Jefferson is in the mix. Um, Antonio Gibson, 11 rushing touchdowns. We'll see what he does this evening against the Steelers. Uh, James Robinson, I feel like, is is up there, but not towards the top. And then maybe a, a Claypool. But I feel like Jefferson and Gibson could give Herbert a run for their money if they do some some big stuff down the stretch here. Yeah, I like Jefferson. I, I, but again, you're talking about Herbert, and the quarterback position is important for these types of awards. But Justin Jefferson is able to do it with some type of pizzazz, some style, and they're winning football games, which obviously Herbert has struggled to do out there, no matter how many how many touchdowns and how many yards he puts up. Um, but I think winning does matter. And, and again, I, Justin Jefferson is doing things that the best haven't done in a long time. You're talking about some of the best that we've ever have seen, Randy Moss, those types of guys. They did this when they were rookies, so I think that matters as well. In terms of the gambling numbers, uh, we talked about this last week, uh, Lefko, you and I, that some casinos have actually taken Rookie of the Year off the board because they didn't think it was even a a relevant bet because Justin Herbert was so going to run away with the award after Joe Burrow went down, uh, which was obviously super sad, but we're, we're talking about making money here. So there are some places here. I'm looking. I'm on Sports Betting Dime right now. That Justin Herbert was minus wow. twelve hundred, meaning you'd have to bet twelve hundred dollars to win one hundred dollars that he was going to win. This was as of four days ago, and then Justin Jefferson had the second best odds at plus eight fifty. And this is what people are talking about when you know people have two different conversations about NFL awards, where they say like, "Oh, Mahomes is going to win it." 
But yes. where's the best value for your money? Like those are two entirely separate conversations. So putting $1,200 to win $100 on Justin Herbert when he could lay such a stinky egg yeah. like he did on Sunday versus throwing $100 on Justin Jefferson and in hopes that he has a couple of spicy weeks, lights it up, has another two touchdowns, et cetera. Vikings still in the playoff hunt. Washington still in the playoff hunt. Chargers, no one's really going to pay attention. If one of those guys, if Gibson keeps going off or Jefferson keeps going off and somehow propels them to a playoff berth, there is that they, they it does get weighted sometimes when it's more meaningful. Um, winning matters, certainly. The Seahawks. I, I have two more. I know we need to start wrapping up. I just want to talk about the Seahawks and what's going on with Tua right now. Um, one, I want to give credit to the Giants. The Giants' defensive line has been unbelievable. Leonard mm -hmm. Williams, um, just everywhere. Dalvin Tomlinson, I love it. Shout out to defensive coordinator Patrick Graham, who, in the words of Leonard Williams, spun a spider web around Russell Wilson. The good defensive mm -hmm. coordinators know how to keep him contained. Uh, they started off zero and five. They're now five. They went now. They're, they went five and two. Um, Colt McCoy continues to be solid. Wayne Gallman ran for 135. And it's very scary to me that as an Eagles fan, it seems as though Ron Rivera and Joe Judge are teaching these teams how to win. And they they seem to be in the right hands. Uh, and I'm, I'm just very impressed with the Giants. It's tough. I'm thinking of three builders as brand new coaches with new teams this year. Um Ron Rivera, Joe Judge, and um, Rule. Matt Rule. Yeah, Matt Rule down there in Carolina. I mean, they're building something. And Ron Rivera, you, I think you mentioned it last week. He said, listen, we got to learn how to win first. And, and that's important. Um, he said that early on in the season where they were playing, weren't playing particularly well. And that's what Ron has done. He's, he's instilled hard-nosed, physical, nasty football into a group that had none of that before. Now they have a great defense. Offensively, they're figuring out if we don't turn the ball over, we have some weapons. Uh, Terry McLaurin, as well as Gibson, that we can win football games with. It's, it's been impressive to watch, actually. Mm. I I also think – did you have anything on the, the Giants statistic-wise, Ingber? Because my, my thing with the Giants is um, they are – I read a quote from Leonard Williams in which he said, when Joe Judge first got there, everybody was talking about how hard it was and how much it was annoying that he was so relentless. And you start thinking about how, oh, I've heard those stories with Matt Patricia. I've heard those stories with a lot of former Patriots guys coming in here and trying to be hard-nosed. But they said, but now they see that it's unrelenting. And they see that he really just wants to win. And it went from, oh, man, this is hard to a rallying cry for the team. Mm -hmm. When you see Joe Judge earlier this offseason diving on the football and getting into it, when I see him in press conferences this week and he loses a bet to Evan Ingram and he's wearing Ole Miss stuff, even though he went to Mississippi State, and you see that, I read that um, – he asked the team leaders, do you want to just keep doing stuff on Zoom or should we make all the players come in on Tuesdays and Fridays and we're going to create a space where everyone wears masks just so we can be around each other? And the players said, yes. Those are the stories that I, that I look at and I go, this is a team. This is a team that is getting unified and they are fighting for one mission. And 
I really think that whichever team wins the East, if it is between the Giants and Washington, they are going to take such a leap up in terms of the learning how to win. Ron Rivera and Joe Judge are both teaching their team how to win. Whoever wins the NFC East and gets to experience what it's like to be in a playoff game, I, I just think this this the the NFC East could flip to where we don't know what's going to happen with Dak's injury and the Eagles seem to be in disarray. It's really been those two teams for the last few years. I, I feel like we're going to a flip where this might be a Giants-Washington division because of the culture that's being built right now. When you talk about culture, just think about this. They went on the road versus a team that, for many people, a few weeks ago was talking about potential one of the best teams in the NFC, in the NFC period in Seattle. And up until about six minutes left in the game, they held that team to five points. Five with DK Metcalf, with Tyler Boyd. I mean, and with Tyler five, Lockett, and two of that was on a block punt. On, 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 on the safety from a block punt. So, I mean, just think about that. Think about how that team harassed Russell Wilson all game long. I mean, in order to throw those deep balls to DK Metcalf, you need time to allow him to get down the field. They harassed Russell Wilson at the line of scrimmage. And, and I'll say it again, and Andy Reid preached it to us. Winning in the tw- trenches is how you win football games in the NFL, offensive and defensive line. They've got so much better on the defensive side of the ball at the offense. I mean, at the, the, the D line position that now their team is scary to watch because you get that type of pressure. Now you have the cornerbacks, the safety that have the ability to take the ball away. That's how you win in the NFL. Uh, one last team I wanted to talk about. Unless where you had anything else there, I wasn't sure. Oh, just that you you happen to talk about the Giants and the Washington possibly taking this uh, this division here. So with the win, the Giants' playoff chances went from 38% to 65%. And obviously Washington playing Pittsburgh tonight, so that doesn't feel like we don't, we don't know what's going to happen there. But um, Washington is coming on eight days of rest, and Pittsburgh's only on six days of rest because they had to and play on down, Wednesday. And they're down James so Conner and a few other players. But uh, to your point, that's, you sounded like, is it John Karnacki? Steve Karnacki. Uh, Steve Karnacki was he was bringing his I, I thought that was actually one of the better yeah, sort of people a background shticky. of what that was. Well, so Karnacki was the guy if you were watching the political, you know, CNN, uh, MSNBC, you're just watching all of those channels. I believe Kornacki was on MSNBC. Uh, John King was on CNN, but he he has this great energy. He's got this like lovable nerd vibe. He's always wearing like Shirt kind of tie a loose and tie and he's he's yeah, just pointing at all the counties and like, here, we're going to zoom in on Ohio. All right, let's Cuyahoga go over to Pennsylvania. County, he just yeah. got this great energy. So uh, NBC brought him in uh, last night to go over the playoff odds. And he's just got such enthusiasm that even though the Patriots only have a 21% chance of making the playoffs, I felt really excited while watching him go through the numbers. Um, but yeah, if, if Washington loses tonight, yeah. um, you know, if that game goes chalk, Pittsburgh is obviously a heavy favorite, then uh, the, the Giants have basically a, a two out of three chance. I wanted to talk about Kornacki for one. Uh, you know what? I'm going to make that my, my, my parting thought. So when we all say goodbye, I'll make it my parting thought there. Uh, my, my last thing I'm going to talk about is um, – like when you put in a rookie quarterback, like we were talking about Hertz earlier, Westbrook, I also mm-hmm. think you can take them out. Everyone says, oh, you're going to shake their confidence. I feel like you can look at a rookie and you can say, listen, we have a long-term plan for you. You're going to be here for a long time. We're just trying to do something right now. Dolphins are eight and four. Tua ain't ready. I, I feel like 90% of Tua's balls are 50-50 balls where he's hoping the guy makes the play. 
Um, mm-hmm. I'm not seeing any readoff, and I, I'm just seeing a, a Dolphins defense that held a yet another team to under 10 points. And when Ryan Fitzpatrick plays, they just seem like a much tighter team. They are going, they're facing the Chiefs and the Patriots at home the next two weeks, then at the Raiders and at the Bills. Am I crazy to think I'm playing Fitzpatrick and I'm trying to get into the playoffs right now? Is that crazy? You know, when they first put two in, I I thought it from the very beginning, it wasn't about the playoffs. It wasn't about wins and losses. It was about experience, solely about experience. And and they just happened to win the first with two or three games they they played. They were were three and three when they brought them in, and it didn't seem like playoffs could be, and then they won three in a row. Right. So they won three in a row. And now I guess that that thought can take over you. You're saying oh, we're, we're we're six and three. We can actually make the playoffs. We make a run. I think Brian Flores as a coach will 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 slow it down and say this is about experience. We don't we're not good enough to win. There's no way that they can play on the same field as Kansas City or even Pittsburgh Steelers. This is about experience for our young quarterback. We're trying to mold him. And I think Brian Flores as a leader will will see the big picture instead of solely focus on the playoffs because yeah, that's important. But at the same time, more importantly, you have to make sure that your quarterback gets the experience that he needs. You know what? To your point with the Raiders looking as stumbly as they do with the AFC South, all looking like frauds um, and and the Ravens not doing too great. The dolphins could get in if they still go one and three, like if Tua goes one and three and they finish nine and seven, like they could still get in. Uh, but that's interesting, you know, for 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 Tua to be able to to strap it up and to go, I'm facing Mahomes, I'm facing Cam Newton, I'm facing Derek Carr, I'm facing Josh Allen. I do I do agree with you that probably in the long run, I, I guess I would retract it. It's probably better for him, and you gotta see if he's the guy. You gotta um, see. I just know that one, it's more fun watching Ryan Fitzpatrick, and two, I think they're a better team with Ryan Fitzpatrick. But uh, you're right in the long run. This Dolphins team with Ryan Fitzpatrick ain't going to Arrowhead or no, uh, no. Three Rivers or wherever the hell they play now. You know, I got a question for you. I, I've been thinking about this in Deshaun Watson, right? Oh, and I'm please. comparing him to Carson Wentz. And I'm saying he doesn't get much protection. I, I like Cooks. But other than that, you talked about Hanson, him throwing the ball to him. Just another guy. Is I it on there? That- yeah, I worked out Watson is all by himself. He's throwing to a wide receiver named Chad Hansen. Brandon yeah. Cooks got hurt in the middle of the game. Yeah. Uh, it, he, uh, look what he's doing, though. That, that's the difference. Insane. That's why I'm comparing him and Carson Wentz. Carson has no protection, getting sacked a bunch of times. No receivers, no clue who these guys are. Jalen Rager just coming back. But it seems like people will go fight for Deshaun Watson. Teammates will go fight for him. It seems like he's getting the most out of everyone around him, especially the bad guys, all the bad stuff around him. He's getting the most out of them. And then I'm watching him after the game, sitting on the bench, towel over his head, looks like he's crying He was because he's so emotional. And I think guys rally around that type of thing. Then I think back to Carson, where we, we hear all the crazy reports, all we talked about before, him not doing well with the talent around him, and not that he's ever made a mis- an excuse because he's never done that, but at the same time, those two quarterbacks are two are at two opposite ends of the spectrum. You know, one, they both have not a bunch of talent around them, but now they are both trying to figure it out and how to get it done, and I think Deshaun is, is in a much better situation. He's he's a much oh. better player with all that, all that said. 
Let me let me say that I do not believe that Deshaun Watson is in a better situation. Uh, the future of his franchise is decimated. The offensive line isn't good. He has no wide receiver talent. His coach is a is a placeholder. The difference between the two is Deshaun Watson is one of the three best quarterbacks in the NFL, and Carson Wentz is hoping to be. There are three best quarterbacks in the NFL, and there's everybody else right now. It is Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, and Deshaun Watson, and it is everybody else. Russell Wilson is on a tier below them. That is how good Deshaun Watson is, that the Indianapolis Colts were a better team at every position, every position, and that Deshaun Watson can go out there by himself and have this team almost beating them on the one-yard line to where even when Deshaun Watson drives down to win the game, his center gives him a bad snap. He is constantly let down by his teammates, his coaches, and his front office. Deshaun Watson, and there are times where I would take Deshaun Watson over Mahomes and Rodgers. Certain plays, I go, wow, man, that guy's special. But Deshaun Watson is in the top three, and I don't even think it's close. Um, There are are times where I look at Deshaun Watson, I go, he might be the best in the NFL. And, and And that's why that the quarterback position is so impactful, because if you put Deshaun Watson on the Eagles right now, I'm telling you they have a winning record. And I'm telling you that they're running away with the East. It's a different feel. And I feel like just the same way that we talked about players and coaches rallying around Jalen Hurts, I think teams rally around guys like Deshaun Watson. And you have to have that, especially when you talk about the leaders on your team. Mm. There's a a level of faith that goes into it. There is, absolutely. Uh, Ingber, any other stats that you or or storylines that you'd want to get out uh, that you didn't get to read that you thought were really good? Juicy. Well, just that the uh, the the AFC East that you alluded to, the Dolphins have to play the Patriots and the Bills coming up, and who knows better about the the reasons to avoid putting a rookie quarterback in front of Bill Belichick than Brian Flores? That if you're talking about trying to get into the playoffs, the way things shake out, that game against the Patriots wow. in two weeks could mean a whole heck of a lot in terms of getting that wild card spot. And uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, whether he's on the Bills, the Jets, or the Dolphins, has given uh, massive trouble to the Patriots. You know what I just realized? We talked a lot in this offseason about Belichick versus Brady in terms of their legacies and what this year could mean. Doesn't it feel right now that for Brady to get the one-up on Belichick, he has to win the Super Bowl? But for Belichick to get the one-up on Brady, he just has to get to the playoffs? Like if this Patriots team got to the playoffs, <laughs> people would be like, it was Belichick. But Brady simply getting to the playoffs is not enough. He has to win the Super Bowl. That's just the way it feels right now. Well, I think that's the difference between a coach and uh, the quarter. You know, you mentioned that the, the quarterback is such an impactful player that if you remove the mainstay quarterback of two decades from a team, the entire team could easily fall apart. We see that all the time with various teams, that if, if the Eagles don't have great quarterback play, they're going to go three and nine as opposed to possibly seven and five with Deshaun Watson, as you seem to, to think they would. Uh, and with, with Bill Belichick, he's kind of take this island of misfits and, and turn Cam Newton into a, a running quarterback that can't pass more than 10 yards. And he's going to take Demir Bird and make him his number yeah. one option. He's going to sort of move things around and shift them around. And if he can get that, crazy Jekyll and Hyde concoction into the playoffs. That's an incredible coaching job. 
I was uh, I was just going to say it's also a reminder to everybody that it's better to start slow and finish strong because everybody thinks that you figured it out. Where if you start fast and then flame out, none of that success early on was real. It was all a fluke. That's what I love is the Giants start off 0-5 now that they're 5-2 and since. Everyone's like, wow, they got it. But if it was the other way around, it would all be nothing. I remember uh, reading an interesting piece. You know, there was like a, a 10 year gap between Brady Super Bowls, right? From 2004 to 2014. And around 10, 11, 12, 2013, Brady was starting to get that. I don't know if he can win in the playoffs anymore. Like that narrative was starting to form. And I remember reading this interesting thing. It might have been Bill Barnwell. I couldn't remember, but it was like, if you had just flipped his career where he had 10 almosts and then he won three Super Bowls in four years, he'd be a legend of legend. He'd basically be John Elway. But because he exactly. won his three Super Bowls early and then he couldn't get it done in the next 10 years, he's looked at as a flop. It's like he still won three Super Bowls in 13 years of being a quarterback. That's and, still really impressive. If I was going to use that in my everyday life, it's why when people say, how did you make a first impression? I don't give a fuck about first impressions. What is your last impression? <laughs> because that is what you're leaving people with. Uh Westbrook told a story before the show that left me with a weird last impression on somebody. That's all it takes. I don't care if you're nice to me when you first meet me. How was the last time we talked? Uh, Westbrook, anything you want to get off your chest before we go? No, I think it's important to remember this is actually for our Eagles and their management, Howie Roseman. Don't put off till tomorrow what you can do today. Mm. Think about that. Hire Deuce Staley as head coach. For Brian Westbrook. The Rocket Man. For David Ingber. If you take one thing from this podcast, it's the sentence, Motherfucker, this is Macintoshes <laughs> to Macintoshes. Uh, I am the L-E-F-K-O-E man, and here's what I want to say about Mr. Karnacki. Um, I have seen so many people get into sports later in their lives doing a job that maybe they didn't like. Okay. Our own Matt Miller is somebody that was doing something and then came over and became a draft analyst. What it takes to be able to do what you love is to be able to do something better than anybody else. And so there's a lot of people out there that didn't play high school football or basketball or high school football or college or pros, but they want to be involved in sports. And so what I'm saying to you is look at what that guy did last night and go, what are the things that I'm great at? And if I want to do something in sports, whatever, how can I find a way to combine it? Be the first at something. First and only is a lot better than best. There's a lot of competition with best. If you're the only person that does something or you're the first person to do something, you can control a market. There is 0% chance to use Karnacki stuff that he is not on again. There was value to what he brought last night. And so what I would say is somebody that has not played pro college, that if you want to get into this, because a lot of you hit me up and a lot of you want to get into broadcasting, find a way to create your own lane. Don't do exactly what he's doing, but find a way to make your own. Kick some ass. All right. Peace. Love you guys. <laughs>